0: Welcome to Tabled Fables, a podcast about fairy
1: tales. I'm Amy Craft. And I'm Sophie Bushwick. This month, we're talking about a tale of trickery, theft, and murder. No, we're not talking about Jack the Ripper. We're talking about Jack and the Beanstalk. Once Once upon a time.
2: Once upon a time, there was a boy named Jack who lived in the countryside with his mother. Jack's mother sent him to market to sell their cow because they were broke along the way jack ran into some harlequin
3: and the man says where are you going and jack says to market to sell this cow and the man says don't do that and jack says why not and the man says i'll tell you what i'll just give you five magic beans for that cow and jack is like sweet so jack takes the five magic beans goes home gets to the house and he's like you know helen i'm home and she's like don't call me helen call me mom and he's like i sold the cow and she's like that's great where's the money and he's like oh i didn't actually get any money and she's like what
2: so she scolds jack viciously and sends him to bed without any dinner and throws the beans out the window and when he wakes up what is there in his backyard but a giant beanstalk. As a matter of fact, those beans were magic. So take that, mom. And so Jack, being uh, a curious lad, starts to climb up the beanstalk and it just climbs higher and higher and higher.
3: And he finds a giant palace. And he knocks on the door and a small, kindly woman answers the door. And he explains to her that he's very, very hungry and she says, I can help you out. And so she brings him into the kitchen and she gives him some bread to eat. Now it turns out this woman is married to a giant who senses Jack's presence in the house. And this is the part you're probably familiar with. He says, fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman, because Jack was British. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread bone flour, I don't know. It's gluten-free. But so so Jack gets nervous and and the giant's wife says, "Don't worry, you know, I'll I'll protect you." And and so she calls back to the giant like, "It's just your imagination, you know. Why don't you count your gold? You'll feel better." And So the giant proceeds to start counting his gold and Jack hears the clinking of the gold pieces and he realizes how much he and Helen could use that money and he steals a bag on his way out unbeknownst to the giant's wife. So then...
2: Goes back up the beanstalk, uh, grabs the goose that lays the golden eggs, um, takes it back down, then goes up a third time and the third time he grabs his golden harp and... Uh, The harp starts, as they're running away, starts to play and to sing. It's like, he's stealing me. Um, And the giant immediately hears it and starts chasing Jack. And they're tumbling down the beanstalk. And Jack's...
3: ...to his mother, mom, mom. And she's like, oh, like he called me mom. And he's like, no, there's no time for that. We have to chop down this beanstalk. There's a giant coming. And so they chop down the beanstalk. And the giant falls crashes to the earth and he either dies instantly or he dies from injuries he sustained in the fall later on. Either way, Jack and his mother are able to live happily ever after with the riches Jack stole from the giant and I believe that that is the end.
0: The most popular version of this tale is told by Joseph Jacobs in 1890 and that's published in the book English Fairy Tales. English kids, they were they were reading a lot of Perrault and a lot of Grimm's Brothers' tales, and he wanted he was like, hey, we need some tales for our English kids, and we need some English folklorists to tell these tales, so he went out in, in search of finding these
1: stories and collecting them into this book. And to help us analyze the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, we spoke with Brian Sumsky, a professor of English and literature at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. He studies how Jack's conquest of the giant relates to 19th century English colonialism, but he also puts the tale into the context of society at the time when it was written down.
4: People were moving away from these heavy-handed moral moral tales and um, towards values which were more secular, like, you know, uh, capitalism and things like uh, gender roles in society and, well, even the Puritan work ethic type of thing.
1: So this movement towards secular values that he's talking about, that was in full swing when Jacobs wrote down his version in 1890. But the tale's roots go back a lot earlier. So the earliest known version that we know of in print was in 1734 in the book Roundabout Our Coal Fire, and it was basically, in fact, a spoof of Jack and the Beanstalk, which means that there were earlier oral versions of the story, and the tale was well known enough that someone would bother to write down a satire on it. At a straight telling of this Jack and the Beanstalk story, wasn't written down until about 1807.
0: The first recorded version was by an English publisher named Benjamin Tabert. And the story was called The History of Mother Twaddle and the Marvelous Achievements of Her Son Jack. Can
1: I just say that? That's the best name ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mother Twaddle. <laughs> I'm imagining a duck. I don't know. Yeah, Waddling it's got that waddle. Kind of, yeah, it's yeah. got that waddle to it. Yeah. So this version of the story was just full of morals and had all these religious undertones to it. And he had all these footnotes to kind of justify different things and, and explain th- away things in there. Tabert even adds a fairy uh, and so this fairy when jacket climbs up the beanstalk and gets to the top the fairy is like hello you know let me tell you a story about this castle it's inhabited by an ogre and this ogre he murdered and stole from your father and you're like the rightful heir to this castle and, and all
1: the possessions inside of it and you have to go and kill him and get this all back it's a nice way of sidestepping the sort of the gray morality, because, I mean, Jack, as a thief and a murderer, isn't a great role model. But this fairy steps in is like, oh, it's all right. He's just reclaiming what is rightfully his.
0: Yeah, and I've got I've got a lot of problems with this story, because I think, first of all, there's a really weird fairy. Like, I've never <laughs> I've never heard of a fairy. Like, the fairy threatens him at one point. He's like, if you don't do this, if you don't like go and kill the giant. And then at the end, um, when the ogress is still alive. The fairy's like, if you don't go back and kill the ogress, you know, you're, you're in for it. <laughs> the ogress you was know? the one who, like, hid Jack.
1: Yeah. And was really nice to him.
0: And then I just, I, I don't understand what the moral is. To me, it sounds like justifications for why Jack is stealing from this ogre. In the story, um, the fairy's like, can you do it? Are you afraid? And Jack says, I fear nothing when I am doing right. And so, does that does that mean that it's okay? You're you know, it's a good. It's okay to like kill someone if it's right, if it's rightfully yours. I don't know. It's it's just weird.
1: Yeah, the fairy doesn't really fit for me. But I mean, that's the version that was adapted by Andrew Lang, and it was also in 1890 in the Red Fairy Book. I don't
4: really like the over moralizing of of Tabard and and Lang's versions. It, it, it to me, when I read it, I thought it was such a strain on his part to make. The, to make the whole thing fit together, to have a moral that fit his idea of what morality is. So I guess if I had to, to, to choose, I would choose the Jacobs version, because it is a stripped-down version. It, it, doesn't in, it doesn't have a lot of embellishment to try to make some claim that probably was not there in the original tale,
0: Yeah, I would choose the Jacobs version, too. I think I like that one more. But even before Tabert wrote his version, there were hints of this tale and other stories that were being told around the world. You know, we've got all these stories where people climb up to the sky, like the the Tower of Babel, and that's a story about, you know, people were trying to reach heaven and they decided to, like, build a big tower. And God was like, hey, what are you doing? You can't build this <laughs> tower. And so he gets really angry and destroys it. Um, and then Norse mythology has some, some stories about people climbing up
1: to the sky and that sort of thing. right? Yeah, this giant ash tree called, I'm going to butcher this name, Yggdrasil... I mean, and then there's also early man versus giant stories. I mean, David and Goliath is sort of the classic example of a little guy taking on this big, powerful giant and winning. And then more specifically to Jack, we have this uh, this story that's also been passed down called Jack the Giant Killer, which is basically a series of vignettes in which a character named Jack uh, encounters and kills Various different giants and some have two heads and some are Welsh and some are Cornish. It's a set of English tails and um, it's kind of hard to tell whether these jack originated before Jack and the Beanstalk or whether Jack and the Beanstalk was just one of many jack ta- of these jack tails, or whether it developed from them. It's kind of hard to suss out the exact order in which these happened, but the Jack Tales and possibly early versions of Jack and the Beanstalk started spreading around England in the 1700s.
4: Jack and the Giant Killer is a lot more bloody, right? Because in some versions he kills multiple giants, cutting off their heads. You know, in the um, in the, even in the Jacobs version of the story, it's a lot gorier. I mean, it's a, it's that that version is set in King Arthur's time, so. Uh, but so every every time he kills a giant with these multiple heads or whatever, he sends it back on a on a on a horse cart back to, to King Arthur's castle to uh, to to show him that he had killed him.
0: So let's talk about some of the key features that we see in both Jack and the Beanstalk and Jack the Giant Killer stories. There's the ever popular fee fi fo fum. I smell the blood of
1: an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. Oh, I love that. That is amazing. I love that little poetic bit. I mean, we've seen in other fairy tales there are sort of poems or musical phrases that are interspersed with the story and they're often repeated multiple times, like fee-fi-fo-fum. But this is one of my favorites. There's just something very resonant about it. And it was actually started out in Jack the Giant Killer. That's, I think, the the first incarnation of it, there's a giant named Thunderdell that says it. And then a lot of other versions have, like, variations on the fee-fi-fo-fum. Like, it'll be like, fee-fi-fo-fum, I smelled the breath of some earthly one. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's also, I was looking
0: back and I uh, looking at kind of the history of fee-fi-fo-fum, and I found that it was mentioned in King Lear. And that was in, like, 1603 to 1606, and one of the characters in the play says, Child Roland to the Dark Tower came. His word was still. Fie, foe, and fum. I smell the blood of a British man.
1: Hey, I did not know that. Yeah, so far back in time. And, I mean, just moving beyond Phi Fi Fo Fum to the story as a whole, it's sort of uh, really interesting to see uh, a tale with a trickster hero, because those that's a fun kind of hero. He's not just a guy who rides in on his horse with his sword and defeats this evil with strength alone. Jack's a little guy, and he has to use his wits and his cleverness to get the better of the giant. And it's kind of like um, if you look at Puss in Boots, where you've got this clever cat who manages to trick a giant in a similar way. It's, I, I, I root more for the little guy who has to use his smarts as well as his strength. That's why it's easy to overlook
0: his wrongdoings and, um, you know, his stealing from this giant sometimes And some of the versions when the giant hasn't done anything wrong. Um, But we we kind of root for him because he's the underdog. And the beanstalk, I I think that one has a lot of symbolism in there, too, in in terms of what it stands for for Jack. You know, it's kind of like his climb up the social ladder. And when he gets up to the top, you know, he's got all these riches. Um, Sure, he needs to steal them, but it's like... That's yeah. kind of what it represents. To yeah, me, it's a I think. conduit
1: to another world, a world where he's no longer the gullible kid who gets tricked by some charlatan, you know, trading beans for a cow, but all of a sudden he's the hero and he can do anything. And uh, there's a phrase in Into the Woods, uh, the the character of Jack is in that, and he talks about how there's no consequence. Basically, he's like this consequence free land of opportunity up in the sky. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that idea that there, this is this like magical alternate world. And And it's a world that keeps drawing him back. I mean, he takes three trips up the beanstalk to steal those three items. And, I mean, three is a common number in fairy tales. And it's just, it keeps drawing him back because the first item he steals is gold, and then the gold runs out. So the second item he steals is the hen that lays golden eggs. And the thing is, that's basically infinite money. He doesn't have to go up the beanstalk the third time, but he does anyway. And it's like almost, he does it almost for the sense of adventure and just because he can.
0: Right. We should talk about some of the, the characters in there, like characters up in the sky that are magical or different, the, the giant's companion, you know, you know, this wife, this ogress that we have up there. You mentioned that she could be seen as a, a mother figure to both Jack and to the giant.
1: Yeah. I mean, when the giant acts like a baby, she she cooks him his food and he's like, I'm bored. Bring out my gold for me to play with. And she's like, here you go. there. They're there and at the same time she also is sort of a mother figure for Jack because she feeds him she's like oh no the giant's coming hide you know she takes care of him the alternative to her being um, a mother figure is the idea that she there might be this like weird sexual connection between Jack and the giant's wife which is kind of hinted at again in Into the Woods and there's an there's an adaptation where they make it explicit and I think that it's not i wouldn't just I wouldn't go there immediately, but there is something interesting in the way when the giant comes in and she hides Jack, you have this tableau of an angry husband and a frantic wife and a hidden other man, so it's almost like hmm. you know, yeah, a, a husband walking in on his wife with her lover I can see that okay, and we should talk
0: about uh, the character of the giant himself and we can we can kind of like I, I looked at it sort of as the parallels between the giant and Jack, you know there seem to be a lot of similarities there where where, um, you know, the giant eats in excess when he's up in, in his castle and Jack steals in excess when he keeps coming back up there. Um, and I feel like the giant is perhaps a mirror of, of Jack. You know, um, and it's kind of maybe maybe it's Jack's alter ego. It's when he goes up into the into the sky, he he becomes
1: this powerful, you know, something else. That's really interesting, because, again, you have Jack. It, a lot of the versions have Jack being kind of a spoiled child down on Earth, where his mom babies him the way the giant's wife babies the giant. So it's interesting to think of them as mirrors of each other.
4: Yeah, the giant to me represents the other, the wildness, the the untamed. The, uh, it could it, it, it could be very much and you know it I mean it's certainly we talked about precursors it, it certainly has uh, parallels back to the biblical story of David and Goliath I mean that's clear that 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 the giant is uh you know this this otherworldly type of character
1: so if the giant is this other figure this sort of wild man then jack is an every man jack is this in a lot of the versions he's sort of a typical representative of of the audience we're exploring this other world with him but um in in fact there are differences between his character depending on which version you're talking about like in the Tabart version he's very different than he is in the joseph jacobs version to just go back
4: to Tabard real quickly, I mean, you see this character, he's not a very, very nice character. Jack is a, he's a, you know, he's sort of selfish. He doesn't really care about his mother and her problems. Uh, he's basically, you know, kind of forced into this. It's it's, it's there's a reluctance in how he gets, he, how he finds out about this. Plus he's, he's threatened by the fairy. So he has to be coaxed. Uh, the Jacobs... Character is a lot more resourceful. I mean, you see him bargaining with the the bean man, the guy who sells him the bean. You know, you know, you know, basically saying, you know, you're not going to pull one over on me.
0: I want to talk about um, Jack as being this clever trickster and this risk taker um, that he is, because I I think that that just. Empowers the tale so much more um, than it would any other tale. You know, we've got Hansel and Gretel, and that's like this cautionary tale to stay away from evil witches that eat children. And Jack is like, he. In some of the versions, he knows that there are giants up there, um, you know, and and when he gets to the the top, he knows that there's a giant there, that it's dangerous, and he's just like, I don't care, I'm just going to go anyway and, like, (laughs) see what happens. And he's—all of a sudden, he's this superhero, you know, who can just, like, swiftly take things
1: and and steal away in the night, and he's not afraid of this humongous giant. And, I mean, in some versions, he is scared, but he talks himself into overcoming his fear, which is very relatable. And, I mean, in terms of risk-taking— His hiding places are really interesting. He hides, uh, in some versions, he hides in in this big kettle on top of the stove. And then in other ones, he hides in the oven itself, the very place that he would be cooked if he were to be caught. So, I mean, that's, that takes cojones.
4: Um, The risk, you know, there's a lot of risk that he does take, and a lot of that is, you know, is, is the risk of body, you know, of life and limb. You know, and it goes back to, like I said, the idea of colonialism and armies and people going overseas and doing things in other lands uh, who are actually, you know, just like soldiers nowadays. You know, he trades the safety of, of home for this high adventure, in a sense, um, and uh, he's risking uh, he's risking his life, really, you know, against this, this more, this, this you know, like a David and Goliath thing, more of an—he's uh, yeah, certainly— He's certainly up against a formidable opponent in the giant.
0: So I wanted to talk a little bit about this David and Goliath thing because you, you, I hear it being thrown around all the time. You know, with Occupy Wall Street, we talked about David and Goliath, um, and you know, we talk about it whenever, whenever we, we think that there's you know a big corporation that's you know trying to cut down the Amazon rainforest or you know something. But I'm wondering in stories like Jack and the Beanstalk who's David and who's Goliath here? Physically, we know who's David and who's Goliath, but who's really David and Goliath in these stories?
1: Yeah, I never really fear for Jack's welfare. I'm always pretty sure he's going to overcome that giant. It's so it's really, he's who's the one who actually has the power? And it's interesting that this tale could be used to support colonialism with British colonialists seeing themselves as Jack, and they're invading this uncivilized other country and taking their goods and in that case they're thinking of themselves as david and these uncivilized masses as goliath yeah and i i actually i sympathize with the giant in some of these versions (laughs) i seriously
0: do um you know in the joseph jacobs version there is there is no backstory about who this giant is what he's done you know he hasn't done anything as far as i know and Jack just like falls upon his castle and starts stealing things from him. And this poor giant, like maybe he worked hard to earn to earn that. I'm serious. Maybe he worked hard to earn that harp and to get that bag of gold and to get that castle that he lives in.
1: And And so I think Jack might be greedy. Well, I think in tales like this, having a giant or a witch or a dragon, all of which show up in different versions of this of this tale type, having that kind of monster is sort of shorthand for being like, You can do anything you want to them because they're evil, capital E. But we don't know if he's evil or not. I
0: mean, look at Wicked, okay? Which which just (laughs) talks about the Wicked Witch of the West as being misunderstood. You know,
1: perhaps this giant is misunderstood. I'm sure there's a version where the giant's the good guy, but usually there's a monster. We also have tales that are similar to Jack and the Beanstalk.
0: We've got Tom Thumb, which is Petit Pousset, the the French tale, and Molly Whoopi. Um, which is the Scottish fairy tale collected by Joseph Jacobs, and that had the line, the repeating line, Whoa, worthy, Molly Whoopi, never ye come again. <laughs> Every time she would like steal away with another of the ogre's um, possessions. And then we also have all these modern movie adaptations of Jack and the
1: Beanstalk. We've got the movie that's out now, which is Jack the Giant Slayer. The original th- title for the film was actually Jack the Giant Killer, and then they decided it wasn't family-friendly enough. And I've been thinking about why we're so drawn to this tale. Like what makes us like a tale like Jack and the Beanstalk so
0: much? And I think Jack is he's an endearing character because he's enchanted by these beans. And it's it's similar to the way that readers are enchanted by fairy tales. You know, so it's kind of like we are one with Jack. We are we are one in the same with Jack in these in this tale And, and we're exploring this new world with him and we're just as gullible as he and maybe we'd we'd try our hand at stealing money and harps from, from a giant, too, you know? Yeah. Just because that's an adventure, and, and that's what fairy tales give
1: us, adventure. So I, I feel like that's, that might be why we like this tale so much. Yeah, you get to experience all of his adventure from the safety of your armchair.
0: Well, we're all out of time for this one. To find out more about Jack and other tales, check out our blog at tabledfables.tumblr.com. You can email us
1: at tabledfables at gmail.com or tweet us at tabledfables. Tune in next month when we'll be talking about Sleeping Beauty. Ooh, Sleeping Beauty. And the funny thing is she isn't always as pure as the Disney heroine. Oh, I mean, no? this beauty, in some versions, she gets knocked up before she wakes up. Oh, so she
0: doesn't even know. She doesn't know. It's Whoa. pretty dark. Might have to call the cops. <laughs>